The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Now, the Prime Minister's former adviser, Dominic Cummings, gave seven hours of extraordinary testimony on Wednesday that is now ricocheting Roger through Westminster, Whitehall and the public. Well, he criticised the government for failing to deal with the pandemic and causing tens of thousands of avoidable deaths. He blamed Boris Johnson directly, saying he was unfit to be Prime Minister and repeatedly accused the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, of lying. In a statement to the Commons, Matt Hancock has rejected those allegations. These allegations that were put yesterday and repeated by the Right Honourable Gentleman are serious allegations and I welcome the opportunity to come to the House to put formally on the record that these unsubstantiated allegations around honesty are not true. So Matt Hancock added that the government has been straight with people over the pandemic. The Prime Minister also insisted yesterday that none of the decisions has been easy and that he has tried to minimise the loss of life at every stage. But no doubt there will be more questions about this and a pandemic press conference is being held later. Well, joining us now is Bill Esterson, Labour MP for Sefton Central and Shadow Minister for International Trade. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let me ask you then, first of all, we've had the allegations from Dominic Cummings. We've had the denial from Matt Hancock. Who should we believe? Uh, well, thanks, Roger and Caroline, for inviting me on your, your programme. And well, the answer to your question is that's why we need a public inquiry. And we need it now, uh, just before the clip you played from... Uh, Hancock, we had Michael Gove, the Cabinet Office Minister who used to employ Dominic Cummings, saying that, that the government was going to wait for an inquiry. But the question is, if it's so important to have an inquiry, why have we got to wait? Um, i just quote what the Reeves Families for Justice had to say yesterday in response to Mr Cummings' uh, commentary. They said today is a horrible, upsetting and bleak day for the over 150,000 bereaved families across the country. The evidence from Cummings is clear that the government's combination of grotesque chaos and uncaring flippancy is directly responsible for many of our loved ones not being with us today. And the refusal to have an urgent statutory inquiry with a rapid review risks others joining them. And like many other people, mm. I have there are very close friends who, who died 
in the last few months, and I completely understand what the families uh, are saying. And as you said in your introduction, Cummings is saying tens of thousands of people died needlessly. 31,000 people died in care homes because of a lack of protection. We need that inquiry urgently. Bill, should Matt Hancock resign? Well, I don't want Hancock to be the health secretary uh, any more than I want Boris Johnson to be the prime minister. I want Jonathan Ashworth to be the health secretary and I want Keir Starmer to be the prime minister. But what we need is that public inquiry to unearth exactly what has gone wrong uh, to get the evidence right, to see whether Cummings is telling the truth or whether there's an alternative version. And I noticed that the government didn't deny what Cummings said yesterday. But we need that inquiry now so we can learn the lesson, so we can deliver justice to the brief family. Well, well many, people, many people might so think part of... Uh, we can apply the lessons. Hang on, just, just let me do it. Uh, just, just, we, need to, we, need, we need those lessons now so we can well, apply them for the rest of this pandemic. Not over yet. But Bill, Bill, I mean, to, to push you on the point, many people, I guess, the angry people you're talking about, might see the resignation of Matt Hancock, say, as something that would uh, perhaps move towards a form of justice. But to be absolutely clear, you are not, the Labour Party is not, as we speak, calling for his resignation. Well, as I say, I, I want John Ashworth to be the, the Secretary of State of Health. That goes without, goes without saying. But look, we need to uh, get on with the inquiry so we can get to the bottom of it. Um, if Hancock feels he should resign, um, fine. But uh, yeah, me calling for it isn't going to make it happen. What is really important is we get to the bottom of what happens. So we can learn from it so that free families can have justice and that we can make sure that they stop making these mistakes. They're still making mistakes. Um, we just saw on Friday that the government published details of local lockdowns where there were high numbers of people mm. with the variant that originated in India. Um but nobody was told about the local lockdowns. Really poor communication, not for the first time in, the, in, in this pandemic at all. Um, that's why we need the inquiry to learn from it and stop making mistakes and start getting it right. Um, why um, trust entirely what Cummings is saying? I mean, what is the case for saying that actually a lot of what he said should be treated with a lot of caution? Uh, well, a lot of what he said is on the public record. He's been able to uh, quantify it and to detail it, uh, you know, the, the, there was evidence from what the scientific advisors were saying right at the start from what was being experienced in northern Italy uh, that was ignored by the government, where we could see the chaos in the hospitals there and yet the government delayed the lockdown uh, at, at that stage, where countries were going into second waves and the government again delayed and we knew that the SAGE advisors, the scientific advisory group, was telling the government that they needed uh, an, a, a circuit break or a shorter lockdown in September, and the government delayed till October. We were calling for that lockdown because we could see the evidence from, from, from the scientists. At that point, the government, the, the Chancellor, was saying, go back to work, uh, when it was quite clear that the evidence was saying that anything was, well, should carry on working from home. But, but Bill, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people might say, well, it, this is an unprecedented, was an unprecedented crisis, something that, that was very hard to, to deal with. The scientific evidence was pushing in various directions. We've heard that the SAGE uh, committee, Dominic Cummings, quoted wasn't necessarily always saying the same thing or in the same way. So uh, is it not a point, perhaps, and I've, I've spoken to some uh, Labour MPs who suggested this off the record to me, that you know, 
in a way, it was almost good you guys weren't in power because probably you'd have made the same mistakes. Well, I don't accept that, Roger, because we saw from other countries who had more experience from other airborne uh, viruses like SARS in the early 2000s, so South Korea and other countries in, in, in Asia, who hadn't, had a much better idea how to handle it. Now, we could have learned from countries, especially like South Korea, another island, where they closed the borders, where they had a robust quarantine system right from the, the, the word go, and they reduced the spread of infection. We, we ended our quarantine in March. We didn't start it. We had an initial quarantine with some cases that came from Wuhan, and then we stopped it. Uh, and as a result, we brought the virus in from right across the, the world, especially from uh, the continent of Europe. Uh, and allowed it to spread. And yeah, those were mistakes that were totally avoidable. And this isn't for the benefit of hindsight, because if we'd looked at those countries and knew what they were doing because they had the experience, we could have, have, uh, um, we could have made sure we got these things right, right, right from the start. Um, is this really going to damage the government, though? People are, you know, wrapped up in the fact that the vaccine um, rollout has been incredibly successful, that schools are open, that people are slowly going back to work, that they'll be able to go on summer holidays. None of this is going to stick, is it? And I think it's extremely important that people continue to have their, their vaccines. I've got my second one tomorrow, as it happens. Um, and I'm really pleased that's happening. I think the National Health Service has done a fantastic job. The, the volunteers in my local vaccination centres, like, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of, of them or the professional staff either. I think it's a testimony to um, the, the British scientific and university communities that we made such a big contribution to to the vaccine. Uh, but um, And of course people are looking forward to the fact that restrictions are being lifted. We've already had some restrictions lifted. But we cannot afford to um, stop being vigilant. We know from the variant that's come probably originating from India that the infection can spread. We know that um, something like, something just over 30% only of us have had both vaccines at this point. Uh, so there's still a long way to go because if you've only had one vaccine, you are still um, quite vulnerable. And there are a significant number of, of those over 80s. And remember the Prime Minister um, said that uh, it only affects over 80s, and I found that particularly offensive. My dad's 88, and I'm sure lots of people listening to this will be in the same position, either over 80 themselves or with relatives who are over 80, yeah, um, but... to say that, that those people were, were dispensable. So but... we have to continue our vigilance. We have to continue to make sure that we're bearing down on the spread of infection because this is still but, very but, dangerous. But Bill, the, that's what the government is doing. I mean, everything you've said pretty much now, I mean, whatever happened before, that is what the government is doing. They are pushing very hard to keep the vaccines going. They are taking a, a view that many people would consider to be quite a prudent one. Surely you need to give them some kind of kudos for that. Well, we've always, the, the Labour Party has always supported them where they've got it right. Uh, and criticise where we know they've got it wrong. Um, but you cannot um, just ignore what's happened in the past where such terrible mistakes have happened. You know, I come back to what Dominic Cummings said. Tens of thousands of people uh, died needlessly. Uh, um, Boris Johnson has uh, said that he would accept the bodies piling high um, and was prepared to delay and did delay that autumn uh, second lockdown. We had the highest death toll, sadly, 
in Europe. We can't ignore all of what went before. Um, and partly it's about learning, as I've said to you on this call already, from what went before to stop making Bill. mistakes. And they are still making mistakes, as right. they did with the communications just this weekend about local lockdowns and didn't tell right. anybody. Bill. We're going to have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Bill Esterson, thank you so much for being with us. Bill Esterson there, Labour MP for Sefton Central and Shadow Minister for International Trade. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. But let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Now, we start with some hopeful news, Caroline, for British travellers. Yes, some holiday islands could soon be added to the country's travel green list, even if they're part of countries in the amber category. That was suggested by the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps in an interview with the BBC. Now, Shapps told the Transport Select Committee on Wednesday that the move may happen from the 7th of June. People from England, of course, can travel to green list countries without then having to quarantine when they come back home. Now, the government's being urged to put plastic pollution on the agenda when it hosts next month's G7 summit. More than 30 business leaders, environmental campaigners and MPs all want ministers to include a global treaty on plastics to be discussed at that meeting of global economies. They're warning that 300 million tonnes of plastic waste is produced every year, while less than 10% of all plastic has ever been recycled. Well, for something a bit more jolly, Roger, physical audiences are going to be back at the proms this summer. The concerts are returning to the Royal Albert Hall with a programme celebrating British musicians. So audiences will be back in July for apparently 52 concerts over the space of six weeks. The 2020 proms featured a reduced orchestra playing to an empty auditorium because of the coronavirus restrictions with the singers placed in the stalls to then ensure social distancing. So it's hoped that if the government can stick to this roadmap and reopen, that we may well get a real sort of summer season. Yeah, well, it was interesting. The proms director said it was going to be a very moving moment when the first notes sound at the start of the season. I think it's going to be fascinating. I suppose one thing, it's so big, the Albert Hall, that it's almost like being in the open air anyway. So perhaps the chances of um, people getting uh, the virus off each other are rather reduced. Let's hope so. Well, let's uh, go back then to our top story today in terms of politics here. Some more analysis on the explosive testimony of Dominic Cummings and the fire blanket that the government has pulled out to try to dampen things down. Boris Johnson's former adviser said, amongst many other things, that tens of thousands of people died needlessly and that it's completely crackers, in his words, that Johnson is prime minister and that he is not fit for office. 
But will these lines break through and have an impact on Boris Johnson's standing with the public? I'm pleased to say that we have Chris Curtis with us now, Senior Research Manager at The Pollster Opinion. Chris, obviously this seven hours of testimony that we heard yesterday, I know that many people have chewed over it. It's the front page of every newspaper virtually this morning in the UK. Um, But in terms of gauging kind of the voting public, it's still fairly early days. How do you think that people will be feeling reacting to what Dominic Cummings has had to say? Yeah, you're going to have to give us a, 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 another couple of days yet in order to give you a firm answer. But, but let, me, let me give you my hunch. Um, I don't think that there was enough in Dominic Cummings' testimony yesterday to seriously move the dial um, against this government, which at this moment in time is, is fairly popular and got a fairly comfortable lead in the polls. And I think there's two main reasons for that. Firstly, um, Dominic Cummings himself is not particularly trusted by the public. Fewer than one in five people tell us that they trust the man to tell the truth. And this was never popular, but he was particularly unpopular after his trip to Barnard Castle last year, which did damage the government. And the second reason why I don't think um, this is going to be enough to move the dial is... To a certain extent, the public already did think of this. People already thought that the government were too slow going into lockdown last year. And yet, to a certain extent, they were sort of willing to forgive them for it or not not necessarily let that hurt their view of the government because the public appreciate it was a very difficult situation in which the government had to make hard decisions. And also because the incredible success of the vaccine rollout um, has sort of mitigated against the damage that that would have done. So for those reasons, I do think that it's unlikely this is going to have a serious long-term effect on the government's reputation, but we are just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, it is very, very interesting to see how this all plays because uh, we've just been hearing the fact that Matt, Han- Matt Hancock, the, uh, Met the health secretary, is going to hold a press conference uh, on all this and, and give, I suppose, a few ideas of response to what Dominic Cummings has been saying. Sometimes they do seem to be quite good at, at pushing back. And I mean, and I, Boris Johnson is interesting in, in this, and I, I'd be interested to get your views on this. He seems to be someone who, who no one can land a punch on, really. Uh, someone who almost whatever he is claimed to have done, what even the public believes he's done, they still don't turn against him. Um, I mean, it is also worth bearing in mind that there are lots of times when the public has turned against Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson has not been a continuously popular politician. In fact, when he took over as prime minister, he was an incredibly unpopular new prime minister uh, by historical standards. Normally people are very popular when they first take over. He wasn't. But what Boris Johnson does have the ability to do, almost more than anyone else that I've ever seen in all of the polling numbers I've looked at, is bounce back from any unpopularity. So when punches are landed on him, even if they knock him down he always seems to have this ability to get back up again and you know maybe this will have a short-term impact on him maybe this will lead to a a drop in Boris Johnson's numbers but even if it does given what we've seen in 2019 in 2020 and also again earlier this year I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against him being able to overcome that uh, in in the coming years. Mm, no, indeed. Uh, when it comes to um, the government response, so Matt Hancock speaking in the House of Commons saying that the allegations from Dominic Cummings are not true, that he or the government have been straight with people over the pandemic. Um, so it is also that 
there does seem to be some element of kind of grudge match between the various characters. You know, people have pulled out the fact that Hancock was criticised by Cummings and Cummings has said that he should have been sacked from his job, but then, you know, reserved and or held back any criticism against, um, against Michael Gove. I mean, how angry do you think people are are at the moment with the government about how they handled the pandemic or indeed about particular individuals aside from just the PM? Well, I mean, Matt Hancock is a lot less popular than the Prime Minister and I think that dragging him into this new story is, you know, it it might land a punch on him even if it doesn't sort of damage the overall government's reputation. In terms of how angry people are, most people aren't very angry. Yes, as I mentioned, a lot of people do think that the government went into lockdown too late and messed up a load of decisions last year. But the vaccine rollout has mitigated against that. Nearly 8 in 10 people think the government has done a good job on the rollout of the vaccine. It's very rare for 8 in 10 people to approve of anything the government does. So that's a pretty incredible statistic. And what that means is that most people now think the government's done a good rather than a bad job at handling coronavirus. So they accept all of those sort of criticisms that Cummings made almost, but they think the success of the vaccine rollout outweighs that criticism. What about the other side of this, Chris? What about the Labour Party? Now, it's now been uh, two and a half, three weeks since these elections that really were a massive body blow, certainly in England, for the Labour Party. Have you got a sense yet of how the parties are doing in voting intentions uh, at this point? Yeah, I mean, off the back of that vaccine rollout, that incredibly successful vaccine rollout, the Conservatives have a very large lead in the poll. Boris Johnson's popularity is fairly good. And off the back of that, the Conservatives hold a large lead. Boris Johnson seen as the best person to be the Prime Minister. So it's a very, very difficult situation for the Labour Party. I think most of it is not necessarily Labour Party weaknesses, although, my God, there are a lot of them. But it's basically the fact that at this moment in time, when the vaccine rollout is going so incredibly well, it's very, very difficult in politics, which is a zero-sum game for the Labour Party to make much headway. So very, very difficult set of circumstances for, for Starmer to find himself in at the moment. And I think his plan is to just wait for politics to start to go back to normal and other issues to start climbing up the agenda and then start um, setting out his vision for the country. Um, do you think perhaps is this perhaps going to be the high watermark for the government when it comes to dealing with the pandemic? Because as you say, there's hugely uh, popular vaccine rollout. Um, there's unwinding, unlocking, the possibility of summer travel. Uh, it, does that fade if then, you know, the summer holidays are cancelled again like Christmas was? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would. It, it obviously depends how this plays out, and I don't think any of us really have a good idea of how this is going to play out at the moment. But I'd make sort of... I, I, I think that... I don't think the government is going to end up in a position where they're seen as handling coronavirus badly. I think the vaccine rollout has been so successful that it's going to mitigate against that. Where the political battles are going to lie as we come out of this are... Firstly, was the UK prepared enough in the first place? And I think there's an argument that the Labour Party could land that after a decade of Conservative rule, there hadn't been enough funding for the NHS, etc., etc. And then secondly, what do we do to recover? How do we get more jobs back? How do we uh, deal with the economic fallout, paying down all of that debt and deficit that we've built up? All of those sort of things. I think that's where the political battlefield is actually going to be. I don't think it's going to end up being about whether the government did a good or bad job at, at handling the, 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 the pandemic in the first place. 
And, and finally, Chris, what about the sort of sense of fear of people wanting stiffer restrictions or they wanting restrictions lifted? I mean, it's something we often ask uh, yourself and others uh, because sometimes people say, well, you know, time to get out of all this. But there's a large number of people out there who actually rather fear what's happened, even with the vaccines, and think we should actually be clamping down for longer. Yeah, I mean, if it's a choice between, you know, giving people more freedoms or potentially saving lives, the public will always select the option that they think is going to lead to fewer people dying. So the public have always supported restrictions. If anything, they think the government hasn't gone far enough. At the moment, they tend to think that the government is easing at about the right speed. But I think if we do end up in a situation where the virus looks like it might be getting out of control again, potentially with the new Indian variant, then yes, I'm almost certain the public would be completely happy and comfortable with pushing the easing of restrictions backwards or cancelling foreign holidays or whatever it is um, in order to keep control of that. I don't think the government would have a problem doing that. In Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.